Hello and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series one episode at a time, doing our best to look at every episode through an anti-oppression, anti-racist lens. I am Ruthie Cowper-Samoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about Hide and Q. This episode was written by Maurice Hurley and Gene Roddenberry and directed by Cliff Bowl. It first aired on November 21st, 1987. I was alive then. I was alive then, but just. I know, we're old. We we're are old. old. Yeah. I actually, interesting, I realized that uh, Riker is like, or, or Jonathan Frakes is like the age that I am now when these episodes aired. And I don't know how I feel oh, about really, that. Yeah. I feel both like old, but also I, f- I feel like, like, was he, he wasn't older than that, but also I'm like, oh, but that's, he looks so young. I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know how to feel. Yeah, if, yeah, J- yeah. Jonathan Frakes looks very young in Star Trek. Uh, that's Ensign Babyface, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, that's why they had him grow the beard. Speaking of Jonathan Frakes, sort of, he features prominently in this episode. So for today's yep. check-in topic, Matthew, what would you do if you were granted Q's powers? Yeah, so you you had you'd mentioned that that this would be one of the topics of conversation today. And I immediately I think given the context of society <laughs> now, I immediately started to think of billionaires. Okay. Right? So that was that's where my mind went to. So for like a society parallel of the Q, if I was granted Q powers, um, I was asked like, would I would I allow myself to become a billionaire? That's how I started thinking of it. Um and I wasn't I wasn't sure. I think they try to they try to draw parallels to like what the the bad side of power is in this episode. And I think that certainly there are there are there's that in our society. Like it's hard to say that someone can accumulate that much power without like oppressing somebody. I would like to think that if I was granted the powers of the queue, that I would I would do I would do good with them. Like I would want to do good. I guess the question is whether or not I would accept it. And I I don't know. Can we pause for one second? I'm. Are you, is, hearing, are you hearing that yes, banging? Yes, it's my cat. I'm sorry. She, uh, after she eats, she needs to bury her food. So this is her okay. burying her food under nothing, but she flaps the mat that the food right. is on. So <laughs> I was, I was hearing that. I was like, this is definitely getting recorded right now. Um, but I don't want to stop her because it's like a thing she does to feel safe, right? So right, right, right. Let's just give it a little bit. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I was like, do I, do I call attention to this or just that? That needs to go in the podcast. Okay. I think. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, that's my cat burying their food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, do you want do you want to just continue? I think that was it. It's like, do I believe that I would use power for good? Like you know, and I often think right now, like a billionaire class in our society, mm-hmm. who we believe are people that would be capable of solving so many problems. At least that's that's the impression I think that we we get. Is and then are they? You know, what do they do with all that? Like, what is done with that power? And I think in this case, like, uh, as we're going to see, like, Riker wants to do good with that power. I would want to do good with the power of the Q, but would I? Mm -hmm. I I would like to think yes. Um, Like, I think, but then it's like, kind of like the same idea as the, this would sort of also be an ultimate test of the prime directive. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a reason why that is, that policy is in place, because if we start meddling with things and we don't have like a full understanding of the scope of what we're doing, maybe that can lead to to something worse. I don't know. So 
Um, so I would like to think that I do well with it. Every time I have, I, I, I indulge sometimes and buy, will buy lottery tickets. Oh, really? Yeah. From like, I allow myself to get once, once a month, I will buy a lottery ticket and I always fantasize about what I would do with the money. And usually they're always like, I want to, you know, build a school for my friend Esther who lives in Sierra Leone. Right. She's like runs her own school right now, but she like always is renting school buildings. So we'd like buy her her own building and I would like pay off my friend's school debt and, you know, help people. I think, sorry, can you hear that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She's on top of her cat tree yelling at the ceiling. (laughs) That's awesome. She's like, I've eaten and I rule the universe. (laughs) Hear me roar. What would she do with Q's power? This is... This is the question. Tink. Yeah, what would a ca- what would a cat do with Q powers? That would be that would be dangerous, I think. It would be so dangerous. But I mean, would it be less dangerous than some humans with Q powers? So, okay, interesting. Like I think I think that billionaires is a really good like analogy or or parallel because yeah, there are so many problems that can be solved by throwing money at them. Um and also there is like so much damage that can be done when people hoard wealth. Um, people with a lot of money are definitely like have definitely have a lot of power for sure. When I thought of this check-in topic, I was like, oh, I'm curious to hear what what Matt would do. And then I was like, what would I do? And I thought about it for not very long before I came to the conclusion that I likely would not do anything if I were granted Q's powers. And I'm 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 saying like actually like Q's powers, not if I had like billions of dollars, because I would be so terrified that I would like mess something up. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the unintended consequences or I, you know, like I would, okay, this is a thing that I think would be good to do, but what are the implications? And yeah, I, I you know, like if with, with Q's powers, could we like solve hunger all over the world. Yes, probably, but I would like worry that that would somehow throw something else out of balance or something. And then like mm-hmm. even saying that out loud, I'm like, okay, but like it's already out of balance because we have people who have way more than we need and we have people who have nowhere near as much as they need. Basically, I cannot trust it. I cannot be trusted with that much power. I don't want it. No, thank you. We've seen in the last couple days like threats to how democracy functions in parts of the world and that's like the whole point of democracy is that like we we share power so we can collectively like make decisions together yeah like there's a temptation to have that kind of power because you're like well then i can do anything but also you're you're there's a dark side of that is like well then i'm subverting other people's decision making abilities as well like Mm -hmm. how would i take that into consideration or would i or not you know yeah for sure. And we'll get into this, obviously. But I, I think the premise of this episode is really, really interesting. Whether or not it was executed super well, I don't know. But it you, like you it know, raises. You're not sure? Well, let's we'll talk it out and we'll decide. We'll but it out, uh, yeah. but it's but I, I think I think it is a really, really interesting idea. This like, you know, you you have a character who can literally do anything, decides to grant that power to somebody else, and mm-hmm. what what are the moral implications of having that kind of power and and at the very least i think we should be asking or questioning what we do with power that's that's a really important thing and who gets to have power and who doesn't get to have power and then who gets to make that decision and that's important too and i think you know that's one of the points that i i think they're going to make it is in the in the episode as well who gets to finally make the decision as to who has power and who doesn't yeah you know i just sort of maybe one last thing 
uh, before we get into mm-hmm. the episode, something that just occurred to me when you were talking about like, what do we do with power? And we need to kind of question that. Um, I remember someone telling me once upon a time, I can't remember exactly who it was or the context. It was, it was in the power, it was in the context of, of education, um, and teaching and, and empowering students. But they were basically talking about like the difference between the power to do things and having power over things. So when, when we talk mm, about students yeah, having power and it, it should also be, it, it, this is what it should be with anyone having power. That means you have the power to do things. It doesn't mean you have power over others. And I think like with oh, Q, wow, yeah. like Q has the power to do things and then uses that to have power over other people, like uses that to have power over the enterprise and, and, and the crew. That's fascinating because I think sometimes the maybe another side of that or another dimension of that is trying to recognize power that you do have that you may not realize you have. Mm, yeah. And I think I think that comes from a place of people not recognizing privilege that they have in society because I think sometimes people will only recognize power when it looks like this, when they can snap their fingers and make something just happen. Right. But there there are other ways that we exert power in society or power over other people, like you're saying, but may not even recognize it or don't recognize how much more easily we can walk through life than other people do. Like that's a power in and of itself that you might just take for granted yeah or or people will only like recognize their power or acknowledge their power when it's like power that they choose to have or power that they want to have but like you know if you have the kind of like like one thing that i always think about in terms of like my relationships with people is like if i have especially like as a teacher that i have you know my relationships with students if i if a student and i if a student like looks up to me in such a way that they will do anything I say just because I say it, then I have to acknowledge that power as a teacher, whether I chose to have it, you know, whether I want this student to do anything I say or not, and I don't, <laughs> but I have yeah. to recognize that I have that power. And so I have to be very careful then with my interactions and with what I ask of that student because I and and even or even if it's not like that kind of relationship but even just the fact that I have this inherent power over students even if I want them to feel comfortable saying no to things like mm-hmm. you know if I ask them to like a favor for something need volunteers for an event or whatever I need to recognize that power that that I have over students even if it's not power that I like directly chose to have over them we're going to see some of that dynamic too because you you have someone in the episode who has to wield power as a leader mm-hmm. just like you would have to in a classroom mm-hmm. and is the captain of a ship and kind of calls what's going to happen because they're someone who's accustomed to having to be responsible with power you know with authority yeah all right well let's let's dive let's in let's dive in in this episode Riker receives the gift of Q's powers Sorry. It's a good summary. Just as an aside, I meant to ask if you wanted to add anything to that. I couldn't think of anything else. Was I given that power? You're given the <laughs> power to the write power. the episode summary. No, I think that's good. That's what happens. And has to wrestle with the moral implications therein. And what an episode it is. We got a little bit of exposition at the beginning. The ship is on its way to rescue survivors from a mining explosion on Quadra Sigma 3. They've just dropped off. Deanna Troy, she's not in this episode. We don't we don't ever really find out why she's visiting home, apparently. But I have an important question to ask you, Matthew. 
Oh, okay. Did you notice the wallpaper when they're setting up sickbay? No. Okay, I don't know if I can describe it. I don't know if I can like find the words to describe it, but it's a very 80s wallpaper. It's got like like paint streaks and polka dots. It is the 80s in space. So that does make sense. Yeah, but it's like the wallpaper is like all 80s, but except that it's done in different shades of gray. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's very pastel-y, the future. It's so, so weird. That's just how it yeah, is. Yeah, it's just a gray. It it could have been like neon or or even like, you know, different shades of like pink and turquoise, but like lighter ones. But no, this is all gray, 80s pattern. Nice. So they're on their way to do this. They're getting sick bay ready. They've got like 504 survivors. They're going to beam up. But they run into Q's force field. Yeah, it, it appears. And just in case you didn't remember from a couple episodes ago, Data's like, it's Q's force field. <laughs> it's that very same one we saw at Farpoint. Q shows up and Worf and Tasha make this like dramatic leap over the, the rear console Yeah, I love of the that. Ship. They both did that. <laughs> Yeah, your phasers work from the other side of the room. They could have just pointed their phasers at no, it, but no, no. they have this like moment where they jump over the, the console. That's pretty cool. I like it. Yeah, and he <laughs> shows up first as like, he calls it an Aldabaran serpent. It's like a crystal ball with three serpent tails coming out of it, basically. When I was a kid, for some reason, I thought that that's what Q looked like. Like that was his original, that's his actual form. Yeah. But I realize now that no, that's just some serpent from some planet. I, I thought so like as I was watching the episode and then when it when he said like, oh, I'm not an Aldebaran serpent either. I was like, oh, that's not, that's not Q. Which I actually no. like that because I feel like anytime a sci-fi or fantasy show tries to make something that's like so amazing that it's like beyond human comprehension, it ends up looking like not that impressive. And like the Aldebaran serpent, like <laughs> it, it was weird, but it wasn't like that brilliant. It was just odd. They're like, well, we got to save people. And he's like, no, my business takes precedence. And then we get intro credits. Picard's pretty annoyed that Q is getting in their way. He refers to their previous encounter as a post-atomic 21st century court of horrors, which I thought was pretty uh, poetic. You know, and I think it's Riker who says that people are, we got to save people who are suffering and dying. And Q is like, your species is always suffering and dying. <laughs> I know, I like that and one. It was so insensitive. But it was interesting because I was like, is that how power just perceives? Like when you have power that's passive and it's like, well, people are always dying. Like it's, what can you do about it? Yeah. Also like, like your species is so like weak and fragile. Like what do you expect? Of course you're gonna, you're gonna just suffer and die. Mm -hmm. um, but Q is taking a bit of an interest in Riker. He's got some kind of offer for the Enterprise and what he decides to do is bring the bridge crew uh, minus Picard down to this mysterious planet that has on it Napoleonic era field. Clearly, this is a soundstage. <laughs> and yes. I thought it was it was funny because like the sky is just this weird sort of green color. And it reminds me of like sets from the original series. Yeah. Like when they beam down to a planet, the sky is just like this one solid color. And it would have surprised me if like it is actually a soundstage from like an original. The original, series yeah. Episode. It could it could <laughs> very well like, be like a the a slightly redressed version of an original one. Yeah. The big they make a big deal out of the fact that this planet has twin moons. Like that makes it yeah, so it like different times. from our planet. It's so different that it has yeah. twin moons. Yeah, not the green sky. Yeah, no, no, that's that's you know, that's fair. It happens when you get a tornado. So Q is dressed as like a French field marshal. 
Um, and he offers Riker a nice cold glass of lemonade or like it becomes lemonade as soon as Riker drinks it, I guess, because that's what he was thinking of. Kind of mm-hmm. like at Farpoint, actually. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, because yeah, he's looking for apples, right? And yeah. then the apples show up yeah. at Farpoint. Yeah. But yeah, and then everyone everyone else gets a drink too. And Data's just like super awkward. He just holds his and is like, uh, I don't drink anything at all. And Worf very dramatically like pours his out and tosses the glass. See, I thought Data had like a glass of some kind of like silvery fluid because I know that later on in Star Trek, he does mention that once in a while he'll drink like oil basically to lubricate himself. I feel like I have a memory (laughs) of him drinking something. I don't remember them ever mentioning that it is oil to lubricate himself. (laughs) Yeah, he says it's some kind of like silicon nutrient fluid that keeps himself... Yeah, or something. I don't know. Anyways, it, it comes up in another season. It's like season four. Well, hey, man, <laughs> Android's got moving parts. Yeah, fair you know, enough. That's a thing. Fair enough. Yeah, so Q is interested in humans' capacity to grow and evolve. He says that, that change is at the heart of what you are. And I at first, I was like kind of accepting that sort of passively. And then I was like, is it though? Do we yeah, change? Actually, I'm, I'm glad that you brought this up because... This is part of Star Trek that I that I adore. Yeah. That inspired me as a young person is that it believes. Yeah. And I think this is Gene Roddenberry's view of humanity as well, is that we are evolving, we are progressing, and that our at our heart is this desire to evolve, mm-hmm. right? You cannot abide stag- stagnation. Actually, there's a lot of quotes from Q I really like in this one. I kind of wrote them down. I was like, ah, it's kind of – that's like neat writing. Yeah, yeah, it is for sure. And that he's interested – it seems like that, that part of Riker – He's trying to draw on that Riker is kind of like, you know, when they first beam down to the planet and they're all kind of concerned about what's going on, his his reply is like, well, it won't be boring. Mm. You know, that he's like interested, he's curious, whereas he just finished berating Picard for being sort of, I think he says stodgy at one point. Like Picard's upset that like Q imprisoned them and he keeps saying like, he's like, seize my vessel, seize my <laughs> <Yeah>. vessel. <laughs> you know, he's like, these are complaints of a closed mind, he says to Picard. And so he's trying to, I think, show this duality between the two of them and, and that Riker's like open to new ideas and he wants to explore. And I, I think you're right, though, is like, is that always... Is that part of human nature? I would like to think so, that we're, we're open to new ideas and explore. I think that we haven't necessarily created a, a society that gives us the opportunity to always do that. But I think if we were given the freedom to, I would like to think that that's what we, we do. That's a, a large side tangent to your question, but I think it's kind of also at the heart of some of the philosophy in this episode. Well, but it, I was sort of – because I, I was thinking about it and maybe I'm just – you know, feeling cynical these days. It's fair. But, yeah. But I was like, I mean, you know, there are parallels being drawn between like insurrections happening now and insurrections that happened in Germany in the 1920s. And yeah. there's a piece of me that's like, do we change or do we just keep screwing up in the same ways, but with like different technology? Yeah. And that's, I don't know if... I don't know if there's one answer to that question. I mean, I think it's an important – I would like to think and this – you know, this is a conceit maybe of faith. I'm not yeah. sure. But like I would like to think that when we create societies that are safe, mm-hmm. where people's needs are met, mm-hmm. where we can realize our best selves, that we would we would live that future. This is why I loved Star Trek so much. Like it showed a society that had – conquered poverty and war and racism and it allowed us all to be our best selves and that us at our best selves were explorers not conquerors not colonizers but like actual humble explorers yeah but if we create societies where 
there's distrust, there is propaganda, misinformation, where people manipulate one another, then we we end up seeing what we we saw. And that's that's I agree with you for sure. Like that one of the things that I love about Star Trek is that it does have this hopeful view of humanity and like not a goal, but like a horizon to look towards the, of something mm-hmm, that we can yeah. progress to. We might not ever get exactly there, but it's it's something that we can strive towards. Um, yes, but it it did make me a little a little sad to hear that and think think of recent events. Oh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think like. I sat there watching the whole thing go down, and I was like, I, I was in the same place. Like, I, you're just like, is this us? Yeah. Like, is this is this what we what we do? But then, you know, you also see these incredible acts of of or expressions of of grace and love. And I was watching that poem that was mm-hmm. read, um, the one poet, um, yeah, Amanda Gorman, Amanda Gorman, Amanda Gorman, yeah. yeah. So it's like we can be both, mm-hmm. but. I think we can we can create societies like the society that surrounds us, the civilization that surrounds us can encourage one over the other. And I think right now we're not encouraged no. to do that. You know, <laughs> like, you know, our society pits us all against each other. It makes us like fight for scraps and be constantly just thinking about survival rather than thriving. You know, if we gave each other uh, all the opportunity and shared power, mm-hmm. then maybe we wouldn't be in that place. We would we would be a future where we step out and we're we're intriguing cue. In the cosmos yeah. with our our future, our possible future. Yeah. You know? Q wants to play a game. And what Q wants, Q gets. So they're going to play a game. Yep. If they win, they're going to get something amazing. And if they lose, the punish- punishment, I guess, will be destruction. So Yar gets angry and she gets put into a penalty box. I know I just kind of brought us on a bit of a tangent, but I'm going to bring us on another one because this... This is a worthy tangent. Yeah. I, this is exactly what happened in Farpoint. Like, Tasha Yar speaks out and gets punished. And, like, as much as, you know, I, I suppose one could say, well, yeah, she's getting punished by Q and Q's being a jerk. So what do you expect? Like, she's also getting punished by the writers. Yes. She speaks out and she gets put into a penalty box. And if anyone else screws up, she's gonna die. She's gonna disappear. I'm not happy. I don't like it. Having watched the episodes now in succession, yeah. wait a second. This is exactly like he yells at her in Encounter at Farpoint, you're out of order. Yeah, and freezes her. And and freezes her. She's not allowed to speak. And in this case, again, like she's, she's one of the first characters to speak up and she gets thrown out. I don't know what the circumstances were around Denise Crosby's departure from Star Trek, but having seen how yeah. the character gets treated sometimes, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, why? Because I, I actually really love Tashi I think her backstory is interesting. Mm-hmm. I think the character's cool. I think she'd have cool things to say, but it's like every time that she starts to, like, assert herself as a character, she just gets kind of, like, tossed out yeah. of the scene. I had the exact same thought. And then has this weird interaction with Picard oh my on the ship. It's so weird. Okay, so one thing that I read is that um, originally... Troy was supposed to be in the episode and some of her lines were given to Yar, which might, I mean, they're still weird lines. Like the she's like crying. And okay, I want to say a couple things. First thing I want to say is that crying, when you're in this situation where you're in a penalty box and if anyone else shows up in that penalty box, you will cease to exist. I think crying is a f- totally fair reaction to that. Yep. And the other thing I want to say is that there is no way that that scene would ever have been written or certainly not for a show airing in 1987. There's no way that that scene would have been written with 
any of the other bridge crew who all just happen to be dudes. There's no way that yep. uh, Picard would be putting his hands on the shoulders of Jordy or Worf or Data or Riker or like even Wesley and to have that other character crying because they're worried yeah. about about ceasing to exist. Like that wouldn't be it's it's totally okay to cry. I don't want to turn this into like a crying is weak and and women shouldn't mm-hmm. cry because they should be strong. No, I I don't I don't believe that, but I just am noticing the way that this was written. <laughs> And it would not be written that way if it were a man. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And then, like, Picard is consoling her. And then she has this thing where they make her say, oh, like, if you weren't my captain right now. It's just, like, so, it's so awkward. Yeah. It's so weird and awkward. And so, like, that that scene is strange. That Like, the, the game that Q is playing isn't really a game. They don't really explain why she knows after I know, she gets zapped away that, like, this is – yeah. it was very strange. That whole part is kind of weird. Yeah, it's super weird. I do want to just point out this one really funny thing that happens when, like, the captain's trying to make a log when he's al- he thinks he's alone on the bridge and he's like, captain's log. And there's, like, a repetition in this, like, super low, slowed down, like, captain's log. <laughs> and it, it sounded like it was mocking him. He's like, damn it, I can't even make a log entry. I'm like, why would that help you right yeah, now? What- it's just like, well, when, when captains <laughs> are in trouble, do? they make log entries. Yeah, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. The first officer takes care of the running of the ship and the solving the problem. Captain writes it down. I talk into my chair. Yeah. And that's also, what I do. Have you, did you notice? I think this might change in later seasons. The like wooden paneling on the arm thing of the chair that he talks to where he makes and the, the walls. There's tons of cool wooden paneling <laughs> in like this is like the retro leftover from the 70s, I guess, when they designed the Enterprise. I don't it's know. Anyways, so they funny. end up getting rid of all that stuff like in a couple seasons. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it works that they get rid of it, but I like it. I like this wooden paneling. Basically, Picard, Q shows up in the penalty box again, and Mm -hmm. uh, he says to Picard that he's testing Riker, basically, and Riker, uh, Picard is sure that Riker is going to resist whatever it is that Q has to offer him, so they decide to make a bet. They bet that Picard, basically it's Picard's humanity, so I guess if Q wins, he'll get Picard's, sorry, not humanity, he'll get Picard's command, um, but if Q loses, if Picard wins, then Q promises to stay out of humanity's business. Back on the planet, we've got these, apparently my only word for like these historical uniforms is musketeers. I don't know what else to call them. I don't think they really know what to call them either in the episode. They're referred to as like animal things, vicious animal things, and soldier things. It's They're things. The animal things, <laughs> it's so odd to me. Because they don't look any more like animals than the the aliens in um, Lonely Among Us, or just aliens yeah, in the show. Yeah, like that's general. so rude to be like, oh, they're, they're so ugly. They're weird animal things. They're also animals for no reason. Yeah, like I don't know, I don't know why they chose that. But anyways, yeah. yeah so they they scout out the camp and they know that there's these animal things. Picard and Q have this really funny conversation in the ready room. Where Picard's basically like, he's like, you seem to have this need for humans. Like, why whatever, Why are you going through all of this? Why not just tell us what you want? And it made me think of like, if you like someone, just tell them. Just ask them out. Like, I feel like that's what Picard is saying to Q. He's like, just, <laughs> yeah, it's a dancing just around ask things. me out. I will say no, but at least then I can just say no. Yeah, they have like a they have like a Shakespeare off. They do. And I did a little bit of thinking and and looking into some of these Shakespeare lines. I have a little bit of experience with Shakespeare being being an English teacher and all. So I have some thoughts if you don't mind yet another tangent. Oh, please. 
<laughs> so the first line that Q brings up is all the world's a stage. He says all the galaxies a stage. Uh, that is from As You Like It, which is actually a play that I'm not super familiar with. But I think in that one, he's talking about the sort of futility of humanity. Uh, the, the speaker kind of goes uh, through a human's like stages of life as, a, as if they're like acts, but it's like, you know, it's it's nothing's real. It's all just this. I don't, okay, that's all I'm going to say about it because I really don't know that much about that one. So I'm not going to. Not going to go on about it. The next one, uh, so Q says, Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Which Picard um, takes to mean that there he's talking about the the way we respond to a play is more... It tells you more about us than the than how we act in real life will tell you, which right. is an interesting interpretation. The context of this line is it's in Macbeth, and this is what Macbeth says uh, after he hears that Lady Macbeth has died, and he's he's also kind of talking about the futility of life. That you know he says. Uh, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. And then goes on to this life's but a walking shadow. So like all of this stuff doesn't, all of this stuff in life doesn't actually mean anything. So I guess like real life isn't, isn't, isn't meaningful. So, so we need this game for you to play to really, to really find out about you. Yeah, and Q mentions he's like at some point it's not it's not the types of games that you play, but how you yeah. play them that that is going to be of interest to him. Yeah, and then the last one Q brings up is Hamlet, and Picard's like, uh, "I'm played by Patrick Stewart. I know who Hamlet is." <laughs> like, has a breaking of the fourth yeah, wall moment, basically, and he like looks directly at the audience and he's like, "Hamlet, I eh? yeah." No, I mean practically, he talks about. Um, they do. He does the sort of "what a piece of work is man" speech. It's also, I think, it's it's an interesting. He talks about like Ham, Hamlet says this with irony, but I say it with. I think he says it with conviction. And so one of the the line ends in apprehension. How like a god. And again, Hamlet mm-hmm. is when he says this, he's he's saying all these wonderful things about humanity, but but actually, like we we really amount to nothing. But Picard clearly doesn't feel this way. He really thinks. What a piece of work is man, how noble in reason, how infinite in faculties, in form and moving, how express and admirable in action, how like an angel, in apprehension, how like a god. And that gets Q really worried. Been hinting at this with Riker, but they're they're going to talk about this more, is that Q is concerned about the future of humanity and what it will become what we will become. And concerned and like he's worried that humanity will become greater than the Q. Yeah, I think that there's an implication of that or or implies that they will they have a quality that if they were given powers like the Q, that they would be better Qs, more powerful Qs. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What would we be called? Hs? <laughs> Sounds just as cool. Anyway, down on the planet, back back away from the English lesson, these vicious animal things are uh, shooting at them with their muskets. They're, they don't have they don't have normal muskets. They have Muskets that shoot fireballs. Laser yeah. laser muskets. Um, and yep. then like 
Riker's like, Data, what do you think we should do? And Data turns around and he's played by John Delancey and he's Q. Yeah, and it was super creepy. I was, was one of the things I was thinking about is that like we're used to Data and how he looks and like that's how it's supposed yeah. to be. But when they put John Delancey in like, Data's <laughs> makeup, I was like, wow, that's really creepy, actually. You look weird. Yeah. So so anyway, then Q is like, Riker, like, you have the power. Use use your power. And he almost he fully does like a little Obi-Wan Kenobi thing. He's like, use the force, Luke. Riker like waves up his hand and everyone's back on the ship except for him. The ship is back to working. There's been no gap in time. They're still on their course to save the people from the mining explosion. Card's trying to figure out like where everyone went and they're kind of like, we fought animal things. Yeah, we can't explain them. They're too ugly. Uh, and uh, but Riker's still on the planet. And he has this laughing moment. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> I have powers now. It's, I mean, it's kind of inconsistently written. But yeah, like at first he's like, He's like, no, Q, you are a joke. Like, what do you want? He doesn't trust Q. He doesn't trust that these, uh, this gift comes at no cost. Yeah, and he, and he asks Q too. I thought it was a, it was a good question. It's, it's like, it's not just what they want, but he's like, what do you need? Yeah, like there must be some kind of need here that you would be willing to do this. And, and so he says, like, we're growing. That there's something about us, about humanity, yeah. compels us to learn and explore and q says that it's a power that will grow stronger eon after eon and it's the word eon that compels Riker because he's like well how far are we gonna go like mm-hmm. they're basically saying like you have this thing you don't have power but you've got this will and this desire and we want mm-hmm. to you know incorporate it so be- so join us they want Riker to become a q so that they can learn more about humanity about humans mm-hmm. and Riker's is like no i'm not gonna yeah, become like, a q yeah, and Q's response to this is to send now all of the bridge crew, this time including Wesley, down to the mm-hmm. planet and disappear. And they don't have their phasers. Uh, Worf and Wesley get killed pretty brutally. By- yeah, it was actually, I'm going to mention this. So when I was a kid, I don't remember a lot of the early episodes because I was super young. I was like six years sure. old. Like, I remember Wesley getting stabbed and being really upset about that. Like, that was that, like, it's a, it's gruesome. He's a kid. He's, yeah. And he gets, like, impaled through the back. And he's, like, sitting there, like, grabbing. I remember feeling that really disturbing when I watched it. It is when disturbing. I, I don't blame you. And it's, it's very gory for Star Trek. Star Trek doesn't usually get that mm. gory. But it's okay. Because Riker saves them. He saves them. And he has this weird, funny hand wave thing that he does. Yeah. And he's like, damn it. Damn it all. And he... <laughs> He sends everyone back and, like, Worf's good and, like, Wesley's fine. As soon as they're all back, he's, like, he's standing in this new pose. He's, like, smug and he's got his arms crossed. He's, like, I want a conference with everybody because we're going to talk about this now. This is where I'm, like, it's, like, the acting is not... Let's say phenomenal here. It It was a leap. It was a leap. I feel like it's not just the acting. I feel like it's the writing as well. I wonder if, like, we're spoiled in contemporary storytelling time, like we're spoiled by things like Netflix and like streaming services mm-hmm. where they can sit down and you could tell a whole story like over an entire season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking like, this would be a kind of cool story to tell over the course of an entire season. Because you could see the development, yeah. You get all the same characters, like same Star Trek era, but you have at the beginning of the season, Q shows up and tempts Riker with like the power of a Q and you have it evolve over like even a couple episodes would have been really interesting. But uh, that's not how storytelling was 
was on TV. So they got to cram this all together and they got to make it work and yeah. they do what they can. Yeah. And so, like, and, and yeah, it, it is a huge leap. They kind of temper it a little bit. So Picard basically, he's like, I have no idea how to advise you. But the advice mm-hmm. he gives is if you don't plan on keeping this power, don't use it. Because then yeah. he won't be able to give it up. And Riker promises that he won't use it. That's a tough problem. It is. And then he's he's tested in it right away because they go down to this rescue mission. And there's this little kid crushed under rocks. Yeah. And, and he probably could bring her back to life. But he doesn't because he, he promised he not to do promise. it. And I, I mean, yeah, he says I'm, I'm prevented by a promise. Like that's what he, he literally yeah, says. Yeah, and it's an interesting, like I don't, I don't know. I kind of turned this around a few times in my head because then when he, he's really angry at Picard after he's like, I should never have made that promise to you because I could have saved this kid and I didn't. And Picard is like, well, it's, it's good that you didn't because if you got used to that kind of power, who there's no telling what would have ended up happening. I. Don't know how I feel about it. She grows up and overthrows the Federation. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, or whatever, yeah. Or right? like, because like, it's, there's this whole, this whole idea of like, let's not interfere. Let's not interfere. And like you said, it connects to the prime directive. But it also, to me, like, people can take let's not interfere to mean like, let's not help people. That's not our yeah. problem. It was okay for you to save Wesley and Worf because Q was hurting us then. But when there was this, explosion at a mine and i mean let's let's be real here starfleet probably benefits from these mining operations <laughs> but yeah. when there was when there was an explosion at, at a mine it's not okay for you to save this little kid that's a really good point too is it's also thinking about like well, what's the context of the power and where do we have responsibility and and you know that this is and this is why the prime directive as a philosophy in the show is is i think is really important mm-hmm. to think about at what time are we leveraging power in a way that's actually interfering or interrupting and i guess what i'm trying to say is it might have been too there's not enough space maybe in the episode to go mm-hmm. that like deeply fine grain into the philosophy but that they, you have to think about that as well like like saving this girl because she's part of an actual federation mining operation is not the same as going off to some alien world and like overthrowing their government yeah and like yeah i mean the whole idea i think with the prime directive is they don't interfere with civilizations that don't have warp power because if they were to do mm-hmm. that then they like if you if 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 a civilization has warp capabilities, then that somehow like that levels the playing field at least somewhat. Yeah, they're looking to reach out into the universe mm-hmm. to make contact. Right, yeah. but if you but if a if a civilization doesn't have that, then you are you have inherently more power than them. So so there's no way for it to be like fair or or, or equal or whatever. Yeah. But and like like yes, that does make sense, but it is also I mean, we've even we've even talked about like limitations with the prime directive, even like in the first episode with this being that was being enslaved by the people at Farpoint. Right? Yeah. Like it it's not it's not cut and dry. You can't just say, Oh, well, I'm not allowed to interfere. So like it's called a policy of non-interference, but I think the way that it plays out in the show is probably more realistic. Whereas it the main I think the main purpose of it is supposed to be at least used as a tool for self-reflection on how power is used. And like and what are the justifications? And in this case, it it almost makes the discussion impossible because the person is omnipotent. Yeah. So it like at what point is it is does that make it always interference? Does that make it never interference? Like I I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, it is. A, and that's why like it is a cool, the concept of the episode is cool, even if like it missteps yeah. <laughs> in places here and there. <laughs> Riker's like, okay, well, maybe I should have, like, I should use this power. So he wants to come back and they gather the crew together. They make this point that like, Power corrupts. That's what the episode's really about. Yeah. Finally, someone just says yeah. the the cliche line. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'm not any different. And Picard's like, well, we you start calling me Jean-Luc yeah. now. So I guess we're on a first you know, name basis. And- you know what makes me feel really not, never uncomfortable is when someone tells me that I have no reason to feel uncomfortable around them. Y- yeah. <laughs> you know, like, he's just like, guys, I'm exactly the same. And like- Except I could do anything <laughs> and no one can stop yeah. me. Finally, as a way to demonstrate, I think, I guess the banality of his power is he's like, okay, well, I'm going to give everyone a gift. Yeah. Picard is like, sure, I'll, I'll let this play out and see what happens. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. I, I do, I just want to point out a little bit right before this happens. Uh, Picard refers to Q as a flim flam man. Yeah, that, yeah, because he shows he shows up as like a monk or whatever, or like a, a, pr- a like of, a friar yeah, or a priest or something. Some medieval yeah, it's priest. Hilarious. And he's like, why do you have to wear costumes? Why can't you just be yourself? Yeah, the theatrics, yeah, right? Nothing but a flim flam man. Nothing but a flim flam man. And then Worf's like flim flam man. <laughs> He decides to read the room and and what people want out of it. And I thought it was kind of interesting what he decides to give everyone and who gets a thing and who doesn't get yeah. a thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, he makes Wesley old. And I thought, like, the the actor that they got to play old Wesley is hilarious because he looks nothing so like Wesley at funny. all. He's got this huge, gi- like, giant chin like with, like, a sw- chin dimple and stuff. Six foot five. Like, he's, you know, yeah. a, a foot and a half taller than – he's I massive. It's like – it's like, how much growing do you think that Wesley has at his age already? It's not like when you get older, you just keep growing. They're like, here's Wesley at 80. He's like 20 feet tall. Like, it's like, what are, you, what are you doing? Yeah. So he's like, okay, Wesley wants to be old because he wants to fit in. So I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, I, yeah. I can see that. Obviously, that's like a, a terrible way to do that, but all right. Data wants to be human. Data's not having it. Data doesn't even no. let him try. He's like, do not do this. I'm not interested. Yeah, and with both of them, it's this idea that he's like skipped process. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. that there's there's supposed to be process here. Mm-hmm. Jordy uh, gets given a site that's and he's like the price is too yeah. high, and I don't like who I'd have to thank. Which I think is a good. I point. think it's a good point. I also have thoughts on this. I mean, okay, I'll start off by saying none of the gifts that he gives these people are like particularly inspired i don't think they're not creative so none of them is very good i'll start with that but i think the idea that a person with a physical disability that the the thing that they the only dream that they will have in life is to not have that physical disability anymore yes pretty ableist it has like there's no thought behind it it's like well obviously you want to see and it really shows that like there's nothing else to his understanding of this character maybe jordy's main desire is like i actually just want to be I just want to be an engineer. Yeah. And I'm not an engineer yet. Yeah, it's it's pretty I mean, not I think it's like yeah, Riker not having a lot of like insight into Jordy as a person and the writers not having much insight into this character besides the fact that he's blind. Worf gets a fantasy Klingon lady. Yeah, also not <laughs> a particularly inspired no, it's like, well, you feel disconnected from your homeworld, I guess. So, Which is true. That is a thing about Worf. I don't understand why, like, all of a sudden, Jordy gets angry about it. And he's like, this is your idea of sex? Which is kind of, I was like, where is that? I don't know why that had to get thrown in yeah, there. Yeah, it was, it was pretty shamey. There was, however, I would like to say, I, I watch with subtitles sometimes. 
when Worf is growling <laughs> at the Klingon fantasy lady, it's <laughs> the subtitles were seductive growl. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty awesome. That has to be a meme in yeah, and of itself. Yeah. Seductive, seductive growl. growl. Yeah. Um, seductive growl. But then, but <laughs> Worf also is like, no, I, I don't want this. That's not my life anymore. Yeah, which. You know, he's like, okay, I've left my world and I'm not a part. I'm trying to integrate into this world yeah. now. So, again, it's like it, they're trying to – I this will evolve and change. But at, the, at this point, he's trying to say like, no, this is where I'm at with my life now. So, it's again, it's it's also Riker like misunderstanding. Yeah, not, not getting him at all. So, Yara gets nothing. Beverly gets nothing. Beverly gets nothing. So, all the women in the room get nothing. Yeah. Other, men get women, but <laughs> women don't get anything. <laughs> This would have been another interesting part with Yar to maybe sort of dig into this a little bit more. Yeah. What if he said, like, you know, I could heal all your trauma. Yeah. Like, I could change your past so you didn't – because, you know, we, we get these sort of flashbacks about Tasha that she grew up in a colony where there was, like, crime and rape and it was just, like, awful and terrible. Again, it's kind of this idea of skipping process. And yeah. she's like, no, I I like this – I've – like, I'm a survivor now. I've healed from this. Yeah. It's made me who I am. For sure she would have but said what that, if, Yeah. For sure. But what if then he said something like, but what if I could heal your colony? Yeah. Yeah. What if I make it, what if I could make it from here on in that like there was wealth and like we we got rid of pot and then it would probably be like a more tempting offer, right? But we don't get mm-hmm. into that sort of like complexity or nuance of what the power can do because I he just couldn't think of anything. <laughs> because the, yeah, the gifts that, that he gives are bad. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty, yeah. You know what I do want to kind of shout out though is the actor who plays old Wesley. Does I think they use Will Wheaton's voice, which is also kind of disturbing to see this massive grown <laughs> person having this like 17-year-old's yeah. voice. But or not even, I don't know, was he like 14 here? Right. But the something about like the the way the, the guy's facial expressions, like he really looks like a confused teenager in an adult's body. Yeah, and he walks up to Riker, even like his body posture, yeah. like he's kind of hunched over still a little bit. It was, it was good, yeah. yeah. Now Wesley sees everyone else turn down these gifts. And so he's like, actually, <laughs> you know, I, I, I can you put me back the way I am? And then Q says, and I, I don't know if this is a fair summary of the argument. I know that this is where they're trying to take it. Mm-hmm. But he says to him, but it's easier, boy. It's easier, boy. So it's kind of this idea that like power just makes like makes an easy path. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if that summarizes the whole argument properly. I was like... I guess well, so, but like that's not always what it can mean. I mean, for these gifts, it's an example of that where he's taken away the process of growth. But there's a, I feel like the the episode is kind of trying to make a point that things are only worth it if you work for them. Mm-hmm. All that kind of extends to like, you know, things are only worth it if they're hard, and that. I think like I, I think your your point about like the process of skipping process, I think that is super important. But I also think that like mm-hmm. you know, it, there's a bit of a danger of being like the easier way is never a good way because sometimes like I'm thinking this from the perspective of like as a teacher and you know when students need like accommodations to make things easier for them that that there can be. A way of of thinking of that's like well no like they should it should be hard and you know like like school should be hard for the sake of it just being hard because because you're only going to learn if things are hard and that can be really problematic when you're just making things hard so that kids are like you know kids have it too easy these days right like I think that is a bit of a, a problematic extension of this which I think the show kind of veers towards but I also think like with Wesley I think part of the reason that he 
what what I like to think, what I would what I would be feeling probably if I were at the age of whatever, if I were made to be 10 years older. I think like he's in the body of a of an adult, but he doesn't have the life experiences that help make his brain develop into making like adult decisions. He doesn't being an adult, he's he he is still a teenager in terms of the experiences that he's had. <laughs> So yeah, I don't. Think so are many adults. That's sometimes. true, but I feel like he's kind of like, okay, wait, I am, I am in the body of an adult, and I still don't know what to do. That this right, is not how yeah. I pictured that going. Yeah, it doesn't make him any more qualified to 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 run the ship yeah. or whatever. That's why it's it's kind of a silly. It's sort of a yeah, silly game. It is silly, but I think your point makes sense too because we can also sometimes justify the difficulty of process as a way to justify people's oppression yeah. as well. Be like, well, we're you, it's good to have hard work mm-hmm. and do hard work and labor and whatever else, but then like people are just suffering in a loop yeah. um, of never being able to make any kind of progress. So I, I think these things need to be teased out when it comes to being like, how do we use power to help people? Yeah, there are times where like we might be skipping over process that they need to go through, but other times like you might be bringing them back to life or easing unnecessary suffering and that never really... But they showcase examples of that, but we don't really get to distinguish between them in the episode. Like you said, like there, there, there really isn't the time to unpack any of this stuff because it's it's just one episode. It's hard. Yeah. In fact, space and time might be simpler than the human equation. That is the conclusion we get to. Riker realizes like just how ridiculous he's been and he looks at the captain and he's like, He's like, how did how did you know? How did you know that that I was going to feel like this? And the captain's like, well, you should feel like that because you're being pretty silly. You know, and he even says, like, I feel like such a fool. At the end, I made a note here that I actually thought it was unfortunate that Troy is not in this episode. Given her relationship with Riker, there could have been an interesting dynamic there, too, where she's like, no, Imzadi, don't be a kid. Yeah, there also, I think, would have never have been any romantic tension between the two of them ever again after she saw him like this though. <laughs> like she could always watch the video playback or whatever oh, that yeah. they do from the bridge. <laughs> yeah. I think John Delancey, like he's he's quite a ham, but he's got some He's so some good. good he is really like, good. He's so good. I yeah, yeah, I don't mean he's got good moments as in the rest of it isn't good. He's he's amazing. Um and there are just a few moments like when when Picard says like yeah Riker go ahead I think this is a great idea and like Q turns to Picard and looks really worried and is like there's a piece of this that I am not understanding like he mm-hmm. he realizes that it's not going to be perfect it's not going to go the way he wanted it to go yeah that he's he's lost yeah and and then at the end when Picard says something about their wager this bet that they made and he's like oh I don't remember any wager and Picard's like oh really well I think the rest of the queue will remember it and they'll probably be pretty annoyed that you didn't manage to do the thing you you were sent here to do and like John Delancey's face gets into like like a kid's face on a tv show like a kid like when when your parent finds out that you're the one who broke the window or whatever (laughs) he just gets this like Oh no! Sort of look on his face. He's frustrated and scared. He's scared now because he has failed. Yes. He misjudged what happened. Yeah. Whereas Picard always kind of knew because in the end, even though again they kind of like present him as being the stodgy, sort of rigid military commander, he's conscious of wielding power, maybe even more than Riker was. Yeah. Which is probably why Q never approached him because Q would know that Picard would refuse it outright. He never would go along with it. I read somewhere there was there's like a, a novelization of. I don't know if it's a novelization of this episode or if it's just like a a novel that a Star Trek novel that references this episode but in that they said that Q was meant to try to turn uh Picard not Riker but that he decided to turn Riker instead. And I that kind of like 
makes sense in in your your thing about like Picard never would have fallen for it. At least Riker had a chance. I think that's why they developed a relationship the way they do is because Picard's one of the few like mortal beings in the whole universe that would probably stand up to Q. Mm-hmm. He respects that. He admires it. Q gets whisked away. He screams and yells, and it looks like the Q continuum has like whisked him away because yeah. he's failed. Yeah. And that's it. They get on. They're like, "There's a hole in time. Nothing really bad happened. Yeah, time didn't pass, and we can get on with our lives." No one will ever mention this event ever again. I don't think they mentioned it once briefly, oh, but later okay. we'll get to, we'll get to All that. Right. I I do like that that little end. It's a it's a little silly, like the ending of Data being like, "How is it that the Q can handle space and time so well, and us so badly?" <laughs> and Picard says that, yeah, like space and time are simpler than the human equation. Although Data said us, and Data is not human, so it's not just the human equation. Just talking about like life or sentience in general. Yeah, this is why I feel like we need another word for humans from Earth that's not human. Oh, because I feel like we talked about this before, but like, you know, Klingons are humans from Kronos and you know, like Vulcans are humans from Vulcan and I don't know, Terrans are humans from Earth. Like we need that because humans should be able to encompass all of these people. You know what I mean? No. What do you mean? Why are, why are they also human? Well, because I don't, because I think that there should be, it doesn't have to be human. It could be a different word, but there should be a word that includes like the people species of the planet mm-hmm. because they talk about like humanity like q q seems to be a different sort of being from us in a way that klingons are not different from us and betazoids are not different from us and what other species do we have romulans are not different from us like we we are different from all these different species that we meet all these different aliens i guess that we meet in star trek where humans are different in some ways but there seems to be this like fundamental similarity among all of them yeah commonality yeah so i feel like there should be a word for that to distinguish that group of people a from you know these omnipotent beings like q and b from the other creatures that inhabit their planets like dogs and cats and it almost like sounds like you're saying humanity Mm -hmm. but that encompasses all life in the galaxy like mortal life in the galaxy Mortal sentient life. Mortal sentient life, yeah, because I'm I'm not talking about the 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 other creatures. Yeah, like like I'm not talking about my cat, although, you know, I, I like to include her in a lot of things. <laughs> Sometimes even in this podcast. Of course. But Yeah, she'd been included in the podcast. But I would say that there is a certain similarity that humans in Star Trek share with Klingons on Star Trek that humans do not share with cats. Right. Yeah. No. I think I I hear what you're saying. And and again, I think that all the all the species that are encountered in the show are supposed to reflect variations of humanity yeah. in general, which is why we see that. So I think that's why when Data can say like us, yeah, he means the sh- the sh- the crew of the ship. He means humanity. He also means the audience. I think in general, getting us to think about yeah. why is it that this being with so much power like doesn't really understand us. Yeah. Like and people. It, it's it's a good point. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. It's a good point. I think to make at the end of the episode. And like he says, space and time are simpler. Then the human equation. Yeah. Clearly, not all the crew of the Enterprise are just human, yeah. but yes, I, I, yeah, I yeah, like we just, we just need another word. <laughs> yeah, we need another word. Yeah, yeah, for human or humanity, but that encompasses life through the universe. Yeah. You know, that struggles in the same way with mortality, with with the nature of existence, um, and with power. Yeah, you know, and what that means. Cool. Well, 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcast or the podcast provider of your choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram at firstlinkpod or send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com and let us know what you would do if you were granted Q's powers. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matt, seductive growl. (laughs) 